Callan FM on 105 FM, uniting our community. Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. I'm Tracy Jones. And I'm Heather Noble. And we're going to be sharing ideas, events, reviews and food for thought, all related to the world of business. And as usual, the first item on the agenda is the topical discussion, which today is change makers. And this is all prompted by an article that I read in the New York Times, Online, of course. I, I don't actually get the paper copy delivered to my house yet. And this was on the 9th of February. And it was an interview by a gentleman called David Brooks with Bill Drayton. Now, if you haven't heard of Bill Drayton before, you will have heard of the term that he first coined, which is social entrepreneur. And he's pretty much a legend in the world of non-profits. Heather, you've heard of social entrepreneur, but have you heard of the new term change maker before? It, I have to admit it was a new one on me uh, when you, you suggested that we we have look further at this article and, and his work. So tell me a bit more about it. So I, I did a little bit of reading about change maker and I know you've done a little bit of work on social entrepreneurship. So we'll come on to that later. But Drayton believes that we're in the middle of a painful historical transition. <laughs> quite a few probably mm. um but his point of view is that um for millions of years people's lives have had a certain pattern and it's been pretty much the same you go to school you learn a trade or a skill whether it's baking farming or accounting or whatever and then you go into the workforce you make a living by repeating the same skill over the course of your career However, he says that these days machines can pretty much do anything that's repetitive and increasingly that's going to be the case. And the new world requires a different sort of person. And Drayton calls this new sort of person a change maker. And he says that change makers are the people who can see patterns around them, identify the problems in any situation, figure out ways to solve problems, organize fluid team lead collective action and then continually adapt as situations change i think sounds great but he does pick up on a point which i did wonder mm. and I'm, I'm glad i found this in the article he does point out that um schools really have, have been training people in a different way and that today's schools will have to start to develop curriculums and assessments to make change making the mentality so that to understand that society needs to change the way it views um, how to educate so that everyone becomes a change maker and you need to start doing this young. And he invented this term social entrepreneur 36 years ago, which completely su surprised me. Yes. It seemed like such a new idea. Yeah. But um, since then, hundreds and thousands of people have said that, yes, that's what I want to be. There's a lot of people have, have jumped in onto that bandwagon and said yeah social entrepreneurship is for me and he sees change maker as being an expansion of that social type so it's it's another step in the direction of social entrepreneurship what i really like is he says that social transformation flows from personal transformation and you change the world when you hold up a new and more attractive way to live mm. so he's floating it out there change maker mm interested yeah. heather it, yeah. are you a change maker yeah I, well i don't know i don't know if i would label myself as one maybe it's something i aspire to be but you've uh, aspired to be a social entrepreneur yes and and that's um for me 
the change maker thing it's a little bit watch this space and see how that pans out i think it i think it's got legs it would just be interesting to see how it works in practice but i kind of have got my head around the whole social enterprise and social entrepreneur terminology and i think we're all familiar with lots of social enterprises that currently exist. I mean, the big issue, for example, is is a classic example of a social enterprise. Uh, also, you know, if you shop at the co-op, the co-op's been going for, for ages. It has been, it, it follows the social enterprise model. Uh, and even the Eden Project uh, down in Cornwall, that is, is a, it is very much a project, uh, but it is a social enterprise. And that basically means that you set out in your articles of association what your, uh, what your remit is, what your purpose is, and that everything that you do is then factored back into that. So if, uh, if the business doesn't um, closes down for any reason, any retained profit within the organisation goes back to the cause. So if with the um, the big issue, for example, I imagine their articles will say something along the line to you know support and empower people who um, you know are homeless or um, are out of work, long time unemployed, whatever it might be, to forge a career and a path for themselves. So that's what everything that they generate goes back into. Um, and and I was going to set up. A, I was looking at setting up a social an enter, social enterprise some years ago now after having had um, breast cancer, and my uh, encounter with the treatment and everything that I had the chemotherapy, which so many people have, um, left me feeling that there was more that could have been done to help me with the way that I looked, because that then impacted on the way that I felt. And I was very fortunate to get uh, some funding from an organisation called Unlimited, U-N-L-T-D, unlimited.org.uk. And they allocate uh, lottery money to people who want to set up a social enterprise. And they give some seed core money so that you can do a bit of a feasibility study. Uh, and then um, they have large rewards that can help you to get the business off the ground. As it was, um, my own business uh, started to take off and I, I just couldn't um, I just couldn't pursue it really but it's a great resource unlimited um, somewhere for information about setting up a social enterprise um, so yeah I just flagged that up to anybody who's we'll put a link for that on our website as usual all, all the things that we refer to will be on the website including the article I referred to about change makers and our website is thebusiness.community so social entrepreneurship and not-for-profit. I think this is an area that perhaps is worth us saying something about. I've, I've got a bit of a, a bee in my bonnet about this, and I know you probably have as well. Mm. It's the misconception of what a not-for-profit organisation is. Yeah. And um, it really doesn't mean that you're not allowed to make money. It, it's just a, a redefinition of how you then distribute any profits that you make. You're allowed to make a salary. You're allowed yes. to earn your living from the business. You are allowed to make a profit. You just then don't distribute that profit as dividends out yeah, it to, goes back into to your business. further shareholders. And there are lots of different ways to define it as well. So obviously it's things like with the cooperative they do have dividends they're paid out but the members are the owners of the business so there's lots of different structures but i think that idea that it's just you can't make money you can't earn a wage it's got to be something you have to volunteer for um 
I think of it more as a for-purpose organisation. Yes. And a few years ago, um, ran a conference um, with Denise Oliver. Um, you were part of the conference as well, mm-hmm. Heather, mm-hmm. where we talked very much about what a for-purpose business was. And I think that's where social entrepreneurship comes into it and these change makers come. It's actually you're doing something with a reason for a purpose. You are allowed to make money along the way. You just don't then become a fat cat or you don't then siphon off that money to separate shareholders somewhere on on a Caribbean island. Yes. Yeah. And you aren't, um, I mean, it, it, it ring fences the money, doesn't it? So that if people do use the services of that social enterprise, if you go to the co-op and buy stuff from there, if you buy the big issue, you want to know that that money is going to the purpose that you think you're investing in. Uh, by buying the big issue, you don't want it to be, as you say, paying for a flight for somebody to, you know, have a, uh, I don't know, have a jolly <laughs> somewhere. So we're, we've we've got quite a bit of a theme going in the show today, and um, we I, we don't normally reveal who we're going to be talking about later on in the show. I, I don't think that's been by design. It just so happens that we present it at the end. Mm. But it now seems like a good point to say that one of the uh, the famous entrepreneur that we're going to be talking about today is Anita Roddick, mm. and I think it fits quite Perfectly, nicely. Yes, uh, almost as if we'd planned the show. You're listening to The Business Community on Calon FM. Don't forget that you can listen again to today's show via the Calon FM website. Simply go to calonfm.com and follow the Listen Again feature. This show will be available from tomorrow morning until next Thursday, but you can listen to all of our previous shows in an edited podcast format at our website, which is www.thebusiness.community. Now, it's quite fortuitous that I was reading this blog um, just the the day before um, I started to pull the information together for this show because it fitted quite beautifully with the last link that we just did about changemakers. And that is a blog on companieshouse.blog.gov.uk and it's entitled Purposely, Embedding Purpose into the Heart of Your Business. Mm. So I thought, okay, let's have a little delve. And something I'd never heard of before and I was actually really rather taking my fancy to the extent that I've been thinking hmm maybe I should set up a business just so I can use this now. You can have a little play with it. (laughs) So it's a new online tool which helps businesses to embed their purpose into their company articles. Now you might not think that you need this but do listen on. It's in response to some a business review which has found that few companies realize that they're legally able to change their articles and so it's been developed by the government with input from companies house and if you're an entrepreneur whether you run a cafe or you're you're a manufacturer and you set up your business with um strong values wanted to deliver wider benefits to society with a strong sense of purpose it could be that you know you want to provide innovation um, in the sector or provide affordable housing or valuable products or services or jobs and you'd actually like that to be embedded into the heart of the business the the phrase that they use in the article is into the dna of the business in the company articles and what, what the research has shown is that 22% of UK SMEs have a particular social or environmental goal. That actually is 1.2 million enterprises wow. in the UK That's a huge have a social or environmental goal. And they recognise that very few of them actually change their company articles. These are the things that you, you lodge with Companies House, which mm. define how your business can operate. And 
Purpose-driven businesses like this are estimated to represent over 4% of the UK economy, which is £165 billion. Goodness me. That's, 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 that's big. But Bigger than you might think. <laughs> and, and the report goes on even further to say that the research that they've done, and this is valid research um, that's been funded by the government and by Companies House, it says that there's increasing evidence that businesses who are committed to a clear social, environmental or economic purpose outperform their counterparts. So I think the other thing that the article mentions, and it's really obvious now, you know, they point it out, is that although a company might have really strong purpose and they talk a lot about it and they tell everybody about it, 40% of the public believe that that's just marketing they don't believe it's embedded within the organisation. Absolutely. They, they mm. think it's just corporate spin. Mm. So a bit of PR. PR, mm. yeah. So by putting the purpose of your business and your true values into the articles of association, then you're actually proving that mm. you really are committed to this. Embedding it into the business, according to the research, will have a profound impact. And it allows the founders to fundamentally redefine what success means for their business. What do you think, mm. Heather? I think, well, I think that the uh, the Purposely, um, it's not an app, is it? It's a, it's a portal, online, tool, uh, online yeah. tool. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And it it, it, all, it is always useful to revisit what your purpose is. Yes. Whatever, whatever size of business you are. And very often with the work that I do with organisations, I can say, okay, let's take, take that back to our values and what are we trying to achieve here and what are we trying to do here? And is it supportive in that? Is it taking us forward? So, yeah, sounds like a great one. But it's a, it's a good tool from that point of view, even if you decide not to accept mm. what they suggest. The way the tool works sounds, sounds really good and really positive thing to do because you go to this online tool and you're prompted to think about your company's purpose. That's always good, prompted to think of that mm. and then how you would like to build your company's purpose into your business and based on your responses you will be presented with amended company articles you don't have to submit them to company's house but you can choose to but what it does do if you specify that it places the duty on the directions to make decisions in line with that original purpose the original purpose that the founder had the founder might not be at some point involved in running that business yep. on a day-to-day -day basis and if you put this unambiguous commitment into your articles they've got no choice yeah, they have to run in. the business along those same mm. lines and the other thing is that i think authenticity is such a big word now it's 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 growing in requirement people particularly millennials are wanting authenticity in in the companies that they work with and if you put this um embed your purpose into your business articles then the authenticity is there, internal and external stakeholders. So it's aimed at founders of private limited companies and you you may be at early stages or maybe you just want to revamp your business, you want to look at it again. It's useful for advisors, lawyers, accountants, business advisors and anybody who's interested in helping businesses. So even if you're just vaguely interested and you want to explore this, go and have a look. You can even answer the questions. It's not going to commit you to anything. So the website is getpurpose.ly. Okay. I've got a few um, events that I just wanted to, to mention. Um, I've made a little focus on networking um, this, this week. Um, Cheshire Women in Business on February the 27th, they're running a morning networking event from half past nine to 11 o'clock. This is at P 
Piste Wine Bar and Restaurant, which is in High Street in Sandbach. Uh, they, you may remember that we mentioned that they were running a Kickstart event in, um, in they'd run a Kickstart event in November. Well, they're they're building on that now, so that's that's a good networking opportunity. I also thought I'd give a little mention to um, Four Networking, which is a networking group. I think we may have actually met in for networking. I do believe we did. Yes. Gosh, that's yes. a blast from the past. Yes, indeed. Um, these are breakfast networking sessions. They they occur all over the all over the area, all over the country, actually. But there's one on the 1st of March at Warrington, and uh, that's usually quite a well-attended group. It's at Walling, Warrington Golf Club. It is on uh, March the 1st, and it runs from 8 till 10. Uh, the cost is £15. You're welcome to go as a non-member uh, to visit. Uh, and you have one-to-ones at a four networking meeting, so you actually get to sit down with three different people, spend 10 minutes talking to them. And the final thing I wanted to mention is something that is, is quite topical at the moment. The business awards year starts in earnest now as we get through to April, and people are being encouraged to enter. So on the 1st of March, uh, there is a winning business awards event taking place uh, it's an evening event it's from 6 30 till 10 30 and it is taking place at the production house in stoke-on-trent which okay is a little a, a little way from here but it's within striking distance and the speakers at the event will talk about uh how you can enter awards uh what to focus on uh, and also um just inspiring you to actually go for it because if you don't enter you've got to be in it to win it kind of thing uh, and I just thought it looked like a really interesting and useful event to get you thinking about encouraging your teams to put themselves forward and to encourage you as a business to put yourself forward as usual we will put links to these events on our website thebusiness.community thank you for joining us this afternoon on the business community we are thrilled to have your company please remember that this is your show and we're always keen to get your ideas thoughts and feedback on the show you can contact us in a number of different ways via our website www.thebusiness.community on facebook where we are the business community on Callan fm or by good old-fashioned email to info at callanfm.com so this is part of the show when we usually review a book or a product of some kind. And the book this, this week is one that I bought after having a conversation with a client who told me that neurosculpting is the next big thing in business. And I thought, whoops, better get a book on that. Uh, so I very promptly bought myself Lisa Wimberger's book which is called Neurosculpting. And Neurosculpting is a whole brain approach to heal trauma, rewrite limiting beliefs, and that's the bit that I'm really interested in, and find wholeness. And this subject has a place in within business, and, and that's the area that I'm particularly interested in. Uh, and it, it, it's, it looks at essentially rewiring parts of your brain to overcome challenges that you may face or may have faced. And I know that this is something that you know an awful lot about, Tracy, because of your previous yes, work. Yes, having been a therapist, I've done quite a lot of work on this. Um, but So I was a little sceptical looking at the book. Mm. And, oh, another one of those little self-help books, but I'm pleasantly surprised. I like it. like it very much. Yeah, it's not a little book, actually. No, it's, it's quite, it's quite, quite a hefty book. It's quite a hefty book. But, but essentially, there are five key areas uh, that, that Wimberger covers. Uh, now, it comes from America, and 
I'm a little bit sceptical sometimes about these things that come across the pond, uh, particularly if there seems to be money uh, attached to it. But some of the things that she that she talks about is um, are uh, a quest for free will, the nature of resilience, uh, balance in the body world, cultivating self-nurture. And the, the bit that I'm particularly interested in is this whole idea of the search for enough. And she starts chapter five uh, with a quote from the Dalai Lama, uh, who is, you know, there are millions of quotes attributed to him, to him. He's a very wise man. But he says, when you are discontent, you always want more, more, more. Your desire can never be satisfied. But when you practice contentment, you can say to yourself, oh yes, I already have everything that I really need. And I think if you can say that, then you might want to go and find what that is, but you've got to start by believing it. And you, you, know, you might think to yourself, okay, well, where does all this fit into the world of business? But this whole idea of not being good enough, the number of people that, as a coach that I, I work with, who say, I'm just waiting to get found out. Yes. I'm just waiting until somebody rumbles me. I think that's more, more common feeling than uh, we would care to admit, actually. Because very yeah. often, you know, we progress through our careers, we progress through a business... And it's on it's on an idea and a belief. And then we sort of think, crikey, you know, if we're lucky, it, it takes off. And because we know this stuff, and we were having this conversation off air, because you know this stuff, it seems bleeding obvious. But it's only bleeding obvious because you know about it. So this whole, I'm just waiting for somebody to, to find me out, is, is big for a lot of us. Uh, but I wanted to focus on an article that I read um, via the Neurosculpting Institute, which is neurosculptinginstitute.com, again, an American organization, but they have a blog section. And there was a, there's a blog about brain training for business uh, by a lady called Susan Applin Pogue. And she talks very wisely, in my opinion, as a trainer, uh, that companies allocate budget resources and employee time to training as a way to build a healthy and sustainable corporate culture. We wouldn't think twice of getting people trained in basic job skills, management skills, leadership, etc. But it makes sense that companies should provide training that develops their employees as individuals. And we talked last week about well-being in the workplace. And this feeds very neatly into that. But she says... Five minutes to increase increased productivity. Neurosculpting brain training is a simple five-step process that can be done in five minutes a day or can be taken to longer, deeper levels based on a person's needs and time. The process is simple and effective in training the brain because it engages your left and right hemispheres. Cues are built into the process to allow access to access to the work done in the exercise by the recollection of a word or the tapping of a location on the body and I'm sure that, that many of us will have heard of EFT emotional freedom technique which is tapping uh, this is similar to running on a treadmill in the morning and then being reminded of it when you're in the car in the afternoon listening to the same song so she says that there are things that we can do and we can use them in business what's your take on it Tracy? Yeah, you mentioned before um, that uh, it's American. And so one of the first things you see is neurosculpting R, you know, the oh. R registered trademark mm. thing. So I, I then looked at the institute and you see there's this big whole structure for training and you're talking thousands of pounds to be a facilitator. And I had to dial myself back. My, I, I judged quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought, no, actually, let, let's read, let's look further. And 
what I, I really like is the fact that it's taking lots of um, well-known, well-researched ways of working that make the most of the brain's natural neuroplasticity. And basically, that's the ability of the brain to to change yeah. how, how it um, thinks about things, how it remembers things, you know, how it learns and, and, and actually how you function. And it's not just that, though. The, one, the other thing that really made it go up in my estimation i've not read the book so um i i, I do say i'm i'm not speaking from the point of view of somebody who's read it cover mm -hmm. to cover but done quite a bit of research around the book is that it does appear to have um quite a holistic approach it's not like here's one trick go away and do this little rewind technique or do this um this little stress relief pattern it's looking at everything from daily meditation to exercises to looking at nutrition and exercise and sleep hygiene and that's what i really like it's that holistic approach to achieving change and i think that's really nicely packaged i am tempted to get the book now there is also audio versions of it as okay. well so i don't know which one i might look at but it seems like it's making something that could be presented as quite complicated neuroplasticity mm. is actually really quite achievable i liked it for that i think our aim today really is just to put the word out there that this exists if you haven't yes. already come across it because it is something that is going to is going to emerge increasingly i think as we go forward but the applin pogue says company le leaders who use the process cite an increase in their productivity a decrease in stress and a sense of focus and clarity throughout their day. And if you incorporate something like this into your business, into your corporate uh, model, then uh, employees obviously will have similar benefits. So we'll put a link to um, that particular book that you've got there, mm -hmm. Heather, and uh, we'll put that on the website. Now, last week we talked about James Dyson, the engineering entrepreneur, uh, that we all know very well. And, and we mentioned uh, earlier in the show that today we're focusing on Anita Roddick, Dame Anita Roddick, um, who was the founder uh, of The Body Shop, which is uh, a well-known high street store. But at the time that it was launched, it... It was very different to how it looks today. And I remember um, she opened the first... I don't remember her opening the first shop in 1976 because no, I don't think no. it was on my radar. I probably uh, wasn't in your high street either. No, no, it was, um, it was in London. But as it became more well-known in the high street, it, it was... It was a game changer. It was a totally yeah. different way of, of shopping for things that smelt beautiful. So as a, t a teenage girl, I would take my pocket money and I would go to the body shop and I would buy things like dewberry scent mm. and uh, cucumber cream and you know, all sorts exotic of exotic exotic smells. And you walked yeah. in and I remember they had these beautiful glass bottles with, with um, like files and you they would fill a bottle and you take it away and then you could bring your bottle back and have it refilled, which was which just I mean, why that isn't the case in the body shop now, I don't really know. But at the time it was it was just amazing. Um, and she she kind of set up the body shop by accident. Uh, she her husband was away working and she just thought, oh, well, you know, he's away. So I, I'll just try and make a bit of money and didn't really have any, you know, a bit of money just to get by uh, and didn't really think uh, that it would ever be the massive, uh, the massive enterprise that it was. Um, but she was basically selling 
quality skincare products in refillable, refillable containers um, marketed with truth rather than hype. That's what she said. Um, and as we know, you know, sadly, she died in 2007, which I, is 11 years ago. But um, she genuinely was a true entrepreneur. And she just, she put ethical consumerism at the forefront of everything that her business stood for. Uh, what's your memory or, or what's your observation about Anita Roddick, Tracy? Yeah, I mean, it, it was about the same at the time. The body shop was just this exotic emporium mm. and everybody I know wanted to buy stuff from there. It, it was it was the place to go mm. for a young teenager. But as I've got older and, you know, I've, I've bit got interested in business, she was probably the first person I knew as as more a social entrepreneur mm. you know so she was she was more than just the founder of the body shop she was an environmental campaigner human rights activist and and she also happened to create this enormous business mm. but I think it's one of the <clears throat> great entrepreneurial tales is she she had a single shop and she grew it into this international empire which she ultimately then sold and she she just managed to do this by providing a product. She was open, she was authentic, and she didn't use advertising or high-pressure sell selling. She just presented this really authentic product that was different, and she did it with passion, and that's what I love about it. What she kind of did was, I think, she kind of in invented a party that everybody wanted to come to. <laughs> yes. You know, rather than inviting people, she just said, look, it's, we're here and we're doing the right thing. Uh, she was an activist, as you say. She uh, was involved with Greenpeace, uh, The Big Issue, and she founded uh, a children's, uh, Children on the Edge, which is a charitable organisation helping disadvantaged children in Eastern Europe, Africa and Asia. And she said um, she believed that business should offer a form of moral leadership, being a more powerful force in society than religion or government. So that, you know, business had had a massive role to play in in the in the world. Uh, and as you say, L'Oreal bought the body shop for six hundred and fifty two million pounds. Now, that's the thing, isn't it? Anita Roddick and the people who owned Green and Blacks, Josephine Fairley, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name of her partner, um, and they, they sold it on to other businesses. Now, L'Oreal tests on animals, famously mm. tests on animals, mm. and I think she came under a lot of stick for doing that transaction. Um, you know, she, she's environmentally friendly against animal testing. That's an interesting transaction, and one of the ones that... Um, the detractors and the naysayers always point to and I think that's but her reasoning behind doing that we then subsequently knew what she did with her money it was only after she died that we found out that, that a whole 51 million pound fortune she gave away to charity mm. yeah so which will have included some of that money that came from yes, L'Oreal without a doubt without a doubt and and I think that at the point at which um she sold the business she had forged the way for non-animal testing on products. So somebody else there's a legacy, that gap, didn't yes, they? There's a legacy, yeah. and and you can't put you can't put a, lay, a financial badge on that. She raised awareness, and as you say, other people now have have come into that work, into that place, into that part of the market. So, you know, we we're very good at talking people down, but 
Yeah, the other thing that she is known for is that that case I just mentioned, which is not leaving her fortune to her children. Mm -hmm. And she did once describe leaving money to your family as obscene. If you feel that strongly about it, then you do what you believe is right. Mm -hmm. And from what I can see, I, I did look around various places on the Internet. It didn't seem to have a traumatic effect on her family. That was their mum. That's who she was. That's how they were brought up. And so, you know, she she left the fortune to green issues and to issues in the third world. And so there was a woman with purpose and yeah. passion. And not, yeah, not many of us, um, not many of us will, will be able to do that or <laughs> I, I could leave everything I've got to charity, but I don't think it would make much difference. And I must correct myself because the first body shop actually opened in Brighton. It wasn't in London. Brighton. So um, if you're if you're shouting at the radio, um, get your facts right. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I've got my facts right now. It was so, Brighton. So she did uh, publish her autobiography, Body and Soul, in 1991. I'm rather tempted to get it. There seem to be rather a lot of them available on Amazon Marketplace. So right. I think I may well be going and purchasing that. It's always interesting to to get the backstory to this so looking around the internet the, there was all the big stories but the actual quirky stories i think they'll they'll be in the autobiography in the book, yes yes one thing that um just feeding into as we were talking about purposely earlier uh roddick said businesses have the power to do good that's why the body shop's mission statement opens with the overriding commitment to dedicate to dedicate our business to the pursuit of social and environmental change. We use our stores and our products to help communicate human rights and environmental issues. Now, if that is not a mission statement that is, was well embedded within that organisation, I don't know what is. That's true social entrepreneur, isn't it? So quote time, Heather, what have you come up with? Well, one that many of us will have heard um, before, and I didn't realise it was a Roddick quote. If you think you're too small to have an impact, try going to bed with a mosquito. No, I didn't know that was Anita Roddick. I've heard either, it many times. Amazing quote. Um, but what she, what she actually said, uh, she said, I want to work for a company that contributes to and is part of the community. I want something not just to invest in. I want something to believe in. And I think we all, I think we all need that. What have you got, Tracy? Um, I'm going to go for the longer one then. Um, we entrepreneurs are loners, vagabonds, troublemakers. Success is simply a matter of finding and surrounding ourselves with those open-minded and clever souls who can take our insanity and put it to good use. Do you recognise really? yourself there, anyone? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you loners, vagabonds and troublemakers out there? <laughs> Well, OK, so thank you for joining us this afternoon. Um, it's, it's been great to have your company. Uh, don't forget that you can listen again on the Callan FM website and do contact us and let us know if any of these items resonate with you in any way, shape or form. You can go via our website, thebusiness.community. Um, it just about rounds things up for us this afternoon. We've enjoyed ourselves. Hope there's been something of interest uh, or food for thought for you. We'll be back next week with more business chat ideas and events. But until then, have a great weekend. Uh, a great week even. Have a, well, have a great weekend as well. 